Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello, and thanks for joining us here on Punching Out. I'm Nadia, and today I'm here with Karen. Hello. And Abby. Hi. Making this the first ever episode of our show, hosted entirely by women. Woohoo! Congratulations, yeah. ladies. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about healthcare today. We'll be giving you a little bit of history on how health insurance came to be tied to employment. And then we'll be talking about employer-sponsored health care as it currently exists. I know a lot of folks are going through the open enrollment process right now, which is kind of a nightmare. Open enrollment or open season? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Nice. <laughs> I actually, this is Karen. Um, I, I actually have like... Um, an unnaturally large response to open enrollment season. So open enrollment for um, employer-sponsored health care for people who may not know is when you're working in a job that provides you with health insurance and you have to choose your plan for the coming year. And uh, a lot of times you might have two, three, or four options to choose from. I don't know. Maybe some people get six options. I don't really know. Um, Four is typical where I work. And I think that it encapsulates for me a real neoliberal moment where all of the messaging we get from from our employer is be an educated consumer. Look at your options. We can help you choose the best plan. And really, it puts all of the onus on the individual person, um, almost to be like an economist for their household. Uh, It's a very confusing picture. I know that there are a lot, I talk about health insurance to people a lot, and I know there are a lot of people out there who don't understand what a premium is versus a deductible versus a copay. What's a PPO? What's an accountable health network? Like, what are all these terms? So it's really a high level of knowledge that you need even to be an informed consumer. And the truth Mm -hmm. is, at the end of the day, there are no good choices. And uh, my employer has an animated cartoon that walks you through like, okay, let's anticipate your health care for the coming year, your needs for you and your family. And I don't know if I'm going to get cancer. And you know what? They don't know if I'm going to get cancer. There's no way to anticipate your health care needs for the coming year. And uh, the more people in your family, the more complicated that picture gets. And they tell you that you can find the best plan for your money. And um, it's actually not true. So I resent that people have like this personal, that to me encapsulates neoliberalism, a personal responsibility to figure out a really complicated, complex picture and anticipate the unanticipatable (laughs) (laughs) for your family in the coming year. Sure. I mean, I, I work in healthcare and I only understood half of the terms that you just said. (laughs) <laughs> and that's my field. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's certainly way more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. you don't fully appreciate how complicated it is until you're on the wrong, expensive, right. uh, perilous for your health side of it. I'm in an uh, unmarried domestic partnership. And every year during open enrollment season, my partner and I have to weigh the pros and cons of each other's health insurance and whether or not. I'm going to switch to his insurance or stay on my own because Mm -hmm. him switching to my insurance isn't even an option because we're not married, which is not part of the anecdote, but also another aggravation, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So open enrollment just ended last week for us, and I already feel like we made the wrong decision. Mm. And and I would say just because of the field that I work in that I'm, you know, maybe a little more well-versed in this stuff than the average human being, and I still... I still blew it. I'm definitely one of those people also who doesn't really understand much of it. And it stresses me out so much every time this... There is so much time in aggravation. Yeah. 
I'm always on the phone with the insurance company just trying to anticipate what's going to happen when I walk into a visit. Right. What if I need this? Is it covered? I have another thing on my list that I'm supposed to call about. And I'm tired. Yeah. Right. I'm tired of calling and trying to figure it out ahead of time for multiple family members. And now right. I'm of an age where I'm starting to manage sort of the health care of my folks Right. And so I'm learning their insurance oh and gosh. I'm calling their doctors and they're it's it's a lot. It's yeah. so it's exhausting. It's, it's exhausting and it takes it takes a lot it takes a lot out of you. I mean that's that's part of the reason why I say I feel like we made the wrong decision this time around because we we chose the cheaper option whereas we we should have or we yes, we chose the cheaper option whereas I feel like it would have been better to sacrifice the money over the the time and stress and there is no good there is right. no good in right because it's that right. choice that you're forced to make which, which is, is right you're not making that i mean to all of us we have limited incomes to a certain degree mm. you don't want to pay more money than you need to right? right but at the same time like you want to have health coverage right that's and you want to be able to do things that make your life more comfortable right um, the shame associated with yeah. not knowing or what happens if something happens to you and you've made the so-called wrong choice. Um, like it's connected to this feeling of it's your fault. It's all on you. And yeah. so you should be uh, ashamed if you've yeah. made somehow. There's actually yeah. a Washington Post article um, that was published in 2012, and I have bookmarked it. And every year, this time of year, I post it on Facebook <laughs> and to tell people it's not your fault because it is a Harvard-trained health economist who guessed wrong for herself and her family. How so did she, she guess wrong? She had a serious medical condition, and she had, had chosen a plan in which every provider who could help her with her brain surgery was out of network. <laughs> and she talked, it's interesting, she didn't yeah. name shame exactly, mm -hmm. but she did talk about being embarrassed. Yeah. Um, because one of the people was like, why did you choose, like one of the, one of her doctors was like, why did you choose the HMO? Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> like she was embarrassed professionally wow. that okay. she didn't. So this is, this is like, highly complicated and i i will probably always like my my term is that we're all wearing an exoskeleton of capitalism <laughs> everywhere we go because we're involved in these complex systems and when something goes wrong it's on us as an individual right. to fix it to bear the price to pay for it mm -hmm. to suffer from it it's mm -hmm. almost like there aren't any systems or bureaucracies out there that actually intend to help anybody anymore. Right. Like imagine just like getting actual service and help with something that's gone wrong. That's why that's yeah. why I wanted to do a show about specifically this is a show about work mm -hmm. and I know that it's open enrollment season um, and we're going to have a much larger discussion about healthcare but our entry point for the punching out radio show and a show about work is employer sponsored healthcare. Right. And so Karen you have a, a special amount of knowledge about this stuff because you've been doing work related to these issues for a while. Um, and you know about a lot about the history of the connection yeah. between health insurance and or employer uh, employer sponsored mm -hmm. health insurance. Can you talk? So bit we're about in that? Rochester, New York, mm -hmm. and I took a class at the University of Rochester with Professor Ted Brown, who's a, an historian and also in the public health sciences department at the University of Rochester Medical Center. And I learned a lot from that <laughs> class. Holy cow. It's a history of healthcare reform in the United States. Um, and so I wanted to go back to the moment that uh, health insurance came to be associated with employment because it really causes a lot of problems. And it's also often thought to be the best case scenario mm -hmm. is that you have a job and you have great insurance through your employer. Right. So, so you often talk about that as one of the perks of, you know, when I, I was actually just talking to someone today about a job opportunity at my company. And that was one of the things that I said, you know, our health insurance is fairly decent. Yeah. So it's a perk, right, to yeah. have health insurance from your employer. Yep. And so the so the reason um, health insurance got tied to employment, um, we have to go back to World War II. Mm -hmm. um, in the late, let's go a little further back, in the late <laughs> 1930s, um, 
people were just paying for health care out of pocket in the 1930s. Um, and, but there wasn't a lot of health care to buy, okay? So there weren't all the sparkling scientific discoveries. There weren't the complex systems of care. Mm-hmm. Um, so there wasn't a lot of health insur- uh, a lot of health care to buy. Um, but a group of hospitals in Texas came together and said, we're going to like offer kind of an insurance for hospitalization. If, if people can pay into the system monthly or whatever, and if they get hospitalized, we'll co- it covers their care. And that was um, Blue, I want to say that's Blue Cross. Oh. And a little bit, that was like 1939. And a little bit after that, some doctors, doctors kind of started to resent hospitals. It's a long story. (laughs) I'm not going to get into it. Um, (laughs) It's a very different picture today. But doctors were like, you know what? For regular care, not in the hospital, we can also offer a subscription plan where people pay in. And then if something comes up, then they come and visit us and it's covered. So that's Blue Cross Blue Shield. Hmm, um, two separate sort of systems that came together much later on. But anyway, so World War II, uh, a lot of people fighting overseas, a lot of uh, factories needing workers, shortage of workers, wages were going to go up. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roosevelt and the government were very concerned um, because they did not want factories competing for workers by raising wages and pushing the country coming out of depression into inflation. Uh, so they actually banned wage increases federally. Mm-hmm. And, but they didn't ban employers trying to lure workers by offering health care benefits. So a lot of the employers said, we'll pay for this new health insurance thing. Mm-hmm. Um, come over to work for our factory. And um, one of the key things that happened is that the IRS decided that that should not be taxed. So uh, when you have, still to this day, when you have health insurance, um, the employer, like whatever they're paying for your health insurance, um, they don't consider that part of your salary. You're not taxed the way you are taxed on your salary. Right, yeah. So so that was, those were the seats. That was the beginning. I honestly, I mean, I guess if I had thought about it a lot, I would have guessed that it hadn't always been tied to the health insurance hadn't been always employer sponsored for some reason. I can't say that term correctly. Um, But it is really interesting to think that it wasn't always that way Mm -hmm. Um, and that it's something that developed throughout history or the very recent history, actually. It was actually, so 1944, I think, was when that happened. Yeah. In 1945, Truman started arguing for a national health system. So it really wasn't meant to stay tied to employment and other countries in Europe recovering from the war did not tie it Mm -hmm. to employment. So, so... It seems like a little bit of a privileged position to come in and say, I want to talk about how bad employer-sponsored health insurance is, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Because people don't have health insurance. Right. Um, but I think it's really important to look at this system because it informs the debates about covering others. There's sort of this underlying moral position that, well, if you had a job, You'd have health insurance, so you should work, you lazy bum. Exactly. Um, <laughs> or even worse than that, not even tying it to jobs, but just, you know, why Why should I pay for someone else? Right. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nadia. Um, so this is another reason why I like to – so there's, a, like, three really good reasons. That's one reason. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the points I wanted to make today when you said, why should I have to pay for somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the dis- discourse in the last two years has been grumblings in the populace saying – why should I have to pay for the health insurance of somebody who doesn't work? Right. Um, and here's the stunner. Mm-hmm. And what I want everybody, if you don't remember anything from this discussion, I want <laughs> you to remember this. We all pay to subsidize employer-sponsored insurance. So we know that we're paying with our, with our money, we're paying into Medicaid mm-hmm. and Medicare, Um Actually, employer sponsor the, the tax benefits to both the employer and the employee that we pay for are the largest. Wait, I have it written down here. So, first, I'll say after Medicare and Medicaid, that's the largest healthcare expense that the US government has are these tax breaks that they offer to employers and to us. Um, but the other thing to know about it is that 
it is also the highest, the single largest tax expenditure for the U.S. government. Yeah. So what does that mean? A ta- it's, it's a bigger break on your taxes cumulatively than the mortgage interest rate. Um, deduction that people take on their taxes. $260 billion a year in lost income and payroll taxes to subsidize employer-sponsored health insurance. So my big message here is we're already all in it together. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So um, we're all paying all in. We're getting less and less out. And really what we're subsidizing is profit. Yeah. So this need for shareholders to see increase, increase, increase of profits every year is forcing up our health care costs. It's gargantuan. Yeah. It's gar- the portion Three times of our wages that are that we're paying, even those of us with employer-sponsored yeah. care, like the numbers of people who feel like they're worried about being able to afford their health care right. is going up. And um, even for people with this sort of best case scenario. Right. So some of those other neoliberal messages that I don't like that happen around here are now because of um, the neoliberal messaging really goes back to the first George Bush, Mm -hmm. the first George Bush. Um, He actually, his plan for improving the health of the nation when he became president and gave an address was that it's everybody's personal responsibility to eat better and exercise more. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So we've spent, what, the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years being told that the real problem with healthcare in this country is that we don't take enough personal responsibility. As if exercise and nutrition is available to everyone, but also as if that's the root cause of all of our healthcare ills. Right, right. You don't take good enough care of yourself. So yeah, now you have lung cancer. So yeah, now you're creating we have, those risks for yourself. Right. So, yeah, well, right. for you and me, because employer-sponsored right. insurance, our premiums go up because you're a fat slob. Yeah, right. like that's how it. Neoliberalism makes people mean. Mm-hmm. We're mean to each other, and it's not even yeah. like uh, there's no basis of fact for how the healthcare system works based on personal nutrition and exercise. I'm not saying they're bad things to yeah. do, and that they don't help your health. But holy cow, what slice of your whole healthcare picture is that? Okay, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into how this current healthcare system affects workers. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. If you enjoy our show, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. If you'd like to share your stories, you can email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Back to the show. All right, welcome back. So we're talking today about... Uh, the healthcare system and its connection to work and employer-sponsored healthcare. And so one thing that I think about a lot in general about work is the way that um, we tie it to our sort of ability to live. Um, if you don't work, then you lose the chance to have healthcare. You lose the chance to be sort of a respected member of society or, you know, these sorts of things. And so um, this, especially this issue about um, health insurance being connected to jobs is that you don't have really the freedom to not have a job, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's a sort of version of coercion, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, if you are in a situation where you feel like you need to leave for whatever reason, that's a really big reason that people might not leave, is that they might not be able to find the same kind of health care. Right. I think it's also, it puts people in that kind of bind. It also means that a lot of times you may be taking a lower salary Mm -hmm. just to have the health insurance. And sometimes for your family. Right. Right. You need not just for yourself, but you may have children and you need the health insurance for them. Right. Um, And so all of the sorts of workplace abuses that people have talked, like the Punching Out Collective talks about on this show. Um, uh, th- they're heightened and they have more power 
if somebody's tied to their job in order to keep their health insurance. And I know somebody okay. just recently told me that um, she, she was going to be taking a new job at a different place. Mm-hmm. And um, the COBRA, that's, the, that's what you pay. I, don't ask me why it's called COBRA. That's <laughs> what you pay um, to keep your current health insurance until you get to the new job. Oh, okay. $800 a month. Oh, my gosh. Um, for her and her family. Wow. So that I've also been on Cobra <laughs> and it wasn't that much less. And that was years ago. Yeah. So it's really, it's really, what are you going to do? Right. It's, I mean, that's basically an impossible amount of money, mm-hmm. especially for someone that's not leaving one job and jumping right into the next mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember one of the very first sort of practice cases we used when starting the punching out collective was actually that same story mm-hmm. or a similar story about someone who was dealing with these workplace abuses and yet had um, health issues that meant that they really needed, they desperately needed their insurance. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was really the insurance was the reason that they couldn't get out of this Mm -hmm. really abusive kind of situation. So the work itself was abusive. Yeah. And as far as I remember, they had to keep the health insurance to get the mental health care yeah. To help with the abuse, which reminds me, I've, it just reminds me yeah. topically of um, an article, another another article about, you know, the whole Hollywood sexual yeah, harassment. Right. I've read a really powerful piece, and I wish I could remember the author's name right now, but I don't, um, where basically she said, you know, the, the sort of like professional, this happened to be in academia, mm-hmm. the professional abuse that she took in um, her settings in multiple universities was a tax on her and on women workers that when like she spent this much in mental health um, uh, therapy services because she was being harassed professionally at work. Um, And it's a tax that women pay, which might be a good segue into one of the things we said we'd talk about today, which is how do women fare under this best case scenario, employer sponsored health insurance. Right. Not well. That's my guess. They don't fare <laughs> well. <laughs> um, uh, I know you were saying earlier, Karen, that you did some reading about current legislation and found out some things about the ACA that maybe well, we don't know. Yeah, I think on on so okay, yes. Yes, I did. And it, <laughs> it makes me so angry that I'm laughing right now, yeah. right? I'm smiling at you guys because it makes kind me so angry. Story of our lives, right? So one of the things that, um, so this is not specifically employer-sponsored being ACA insurance, mm-hmm. but one of the things that's long been true is that um, the Hyde Amendment uh, passed by the U.S. Congress for many, many years has banned any federal money paying for abortions. Mm-hmm. So in my world, abortions are part of health care. Right. Um, and so uh, Medicaid recipients can't have an abortion paid by Medicaid. Um, there are a little bit of exceptions to it, but I'm going to try to keep this basic. Um, so unless the woman was raped or her health is at risk, and even that, there was an even stricter ban in the U.S. military for women in the U.S. military. Right. And um, the, the, the rape and incest stipulations yeah. were added much later, yes. right? Like the for, the, for the women in the, right. yeah. Originally was yeah. It passed in the 70s, I think, and then those stipulations yeah. didn't come into play until, what, 90s maybe? Is that, does that sound I don't know accurate? exactly. Okay. But I know that for the military, they, they didn't even give you, like, the rape and incest stipulation until very recently and you still have to go to a VA hospital to get your care and you can imagine how well suited they are to handling women vets we already know that they're not very so okay so the ACA um, maintained that Mm -hmm. so this gets passed every year by the way it's not a law that's in effect until you take it out of effect they actually keep passing it year after year after year So um, one of my disappointments with the ACA, aside from the fact that it doesn't cure all of the healthcare reform problems that can be cured, um, is that it actually codifies and strengthens that relationship that that no federal, no, okay, don't worry, no federal money is going to pay for abortions. There are some stipulations in that states, states can use state money even as part of the Medicaid program 
to pay for abortions, but states have to decide to do that, and not every state does that. So um, that's abortion coverage. But the more recent sort of topic in the news has been the status of birth control mm -hmm. um, under employer-sponsored health care. Right. So the newest deal with birth control coverage, new rules have been issued by the Department of Health that basically say employers and universities can just decide that you can't have birth control because they morally object mm -hmm. to it. On, I mean, I think they can cite religious reasons, but also just, just they can just morally object based mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. nothing, really. Oh, and there see. were some places that actually did that. Is that isn't that right? Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 definitely. Um, I read an article recently uh, about Notre Dame mm -hmm. that they they basically said that their their staff and students that are under covered under their university healthcare plans are only going to be able to get birth control to treat medical conditions, not to be used as contraception. Mm -hmm. Which is, I mean. When we talk about birth control coverage, or when I talk about it, that's one of the points that I make when people say, you know, why should I pay for you to keep yourself from becoming pregnant? And I say, <laughs> I've been taking birth control since I was 12 years old because I had really painful periods. Right. Boom, deal with it. But it's also like... You shouldn't have to say it. I shouldn't have to say right, anything. Exactly. And it's, not, it's why is it up to anybody else what I need medicine for or why I want to use it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just an absurd concept to me i get so angry just thinking about it because it just does not compute logically does so notre right. dame still covering viagra <laughs> oh, for men really? i i'm asking oh, i don't right? i imagine they question. are i don't know right? the answer to nobody's that as far as yeah. i know nobody's raised any moral objection to paying for viagra they right. don't they don't submit men yeah, right. to chat like monogamy tests to make sure that they're only having only using Viagra for sex with their One monogamous part, wife um, monogamous straight wife that they're right. married to right. by and law only for the and by church more babies. Right. And that's the thing that's I mean, right. they, they like it's talked about birth control and it's talked about as this like specifically sort of sex related th like personal control sort of thing. Mm. But it's like a medical condition, the condition of being able to get pregnant or not. I mean, like, mm -hmm. that's kind of a harsh way of saying it. But like, if vi something like Viagra is theoretically being covered, um, something like birth control should be covered. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you shouldn't have to have an an answer, like, you shouldn't have, a ha have to have a justification, which is, like, not even sex based, like, mm -hmm. Like, no, no, it's because of other medical reasons. No, this is it. Like, this is something that's not just... Right. Yeah. It's, it shouldn't be a question for my employer to say, why do you need this specific kind of medication? Exactly. Like, because right. The only answer to that question is because my doctor said so. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. the only answer. Mm -hmm. And it should be the acceptable answer. The idea that this is something that employers can stipulate, or employers have control over about their workers. Yeah. Who are women is that this, that they enter into their lives in this way. Yeah. Yeah. So and Karen, I have yeah. I have a feeling that some of them are like rubbing their hands together and cackling over it. I'm just <laughs> okay. So the other thing yeah. I wanted to mention. So we talked a little bit about abortion. We talked mm -hmm. a little bit about um, birth control and employers meddling in that in a really gross ways. Um, the third aspect that is helpful to think about. So. Mm, if employer-sponsored care is out of reach, right? Mm -hmm. Like employer-sponsored care has gotten so expensive that that's not even a good solution anymore. The people in society who are the primary caretakers of sick family members are women. So we are more likely to miss work caring for a loved one. And when they don't have health insurance or access to health care, we're picking up the slack. So we're we're the ones carrying capitalism again. Um, so that was, I just wanted to make the yeah. point that this is actually, this is also of primary interest to women because we, like when we can't get long-term care for our elderly parents, they're living in our houses right. and we're changing their diapers and we're trying to make sure that they have what they need. Um, and children actually carry the burden of parents not being able to get health care. So yeah. in disadvantaged communities, a lot of times you've got high school students who are missing school because mom or grandmother has diabetes and she needs somebody there with her. Right. Uh, so, the, so we're really vulnerable in particular to the fact that we have a patchwork health care system.
I think in our in part two, we're going to talk about some possible solutions. Actually, we're going to talk about one possible solution mm-hmm. to all of this, which is single payer health care or universal health care. Right. Um, and so a lot of activist organizations, a lot of social, specifically socialist feminist organizations like the um, Socialist Feminist Caucus of the New York City chapter of Democratic Socialists of America have decided that their primary issue, not that other issues aren't important and that they're not working on and showing up for. But their primary issue that they're going to work on is single-payer health care reform, universal health care. Um, mm-hmm. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, universal health care and what's actually possible for curing these problems and why it could be a great thing. So that's hopeful, right? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely hopeful. Hey, hey guys, you know that feeling you have at work, that dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Abby and I'm here today with Nadia. Hi. And Karen. Hello. We are talking about healthcare and especially employer-sponsored healthcare and the effects especially on women workers. And this week we're talking, well, I should say it was a very uh, gloomy Uh, ending in the last episode. Yeah. Um, But we talked about um, the sort of more hopeful tone that we would take in this episode. No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) Um, And that is a possible solution. Mm-hmm. So, Karen, can you talk to us a little yes. bit about that? Yes. So, um, there's a lot that can be said about the healthcare system. So, the reason we talked about employer sponsored healthcare, health insurance, is because that's supposed to be like the best that you can do in the US society for health mm-hmm. insurance coverage. And it, we're all going broke, uh, those of us who have it. And it's, it, presents all kinds of problems with your employer sort of saying what can be covered and what can't. Um, and it's expensive and you get, we didn't actually talk about this, but you're limited who you can see. You have to stay in network. Maybe we talked about a little bit. Um, and that's the best we can do. And it's not good enough, right? It's not good enough. So since we're in Rochester, New York, Mm -hmm. we are going to talk about, um, the New York health act, which is a piece of legislation that is in um, has been passed by the New York State Assembly three years in a row, is one state senator shy of having a majority of Senate support in the New York State Senate um, that promises a single-payer universal health care for all New Yorkers. So that sounds pretty good, right? Gives me hope. It fills me with hope. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best mm-hmm. to answer questions about the New York Health Act. What do you want to know? Ah. Okay. Well, I guess just, just to start off, maybe like a really broad overview of what, like what exactly you mean by single payer and universal for people that, that don't know. Okay. So we have a lot of insurance companies in New York State, health insurance companies. Uh, I don't know how many. Um, there are a lot in New York. There are a lot nationally. In New York State, no more insurance companies. Beautiful. So the New York State government would be the single payer um, for the health care that New Yorkers receive. And they really would be acting in the role of an insurance company. The doctors and hospitals and nurses and workers would not be working for the New York State government. Mm-hmm. It's not nationalized or statalized healthcare. <laughs> it's, it's called single payer because you no longer have multiple payers um, in the system. But let's cut to the chase. Yeah. Absolute full coverage for everything no copays, no premiums, no deductibles, no coinsurance. Any doctor you want to see who is willing to see you. Um, so no in-network, out-of-network. Everybody's in-network. Everybody. You can go to whatever doctor you want to go to. It doesn't matter which health system it is. Anybody that'll take you as a patient. Um, when I say everything's covered, this is uh, if you go to the hospital, mm-hmm. if you go to the emergency room, if you go to your doctor for preventive care, if you go to your doctor because you stubbed your toe, um, if you need your flu shot, 
mental health care completely covered. Wow. Um, long. This is actually so it would cover everybody. So for the for for people who are sixty five and older, it would replace Medicare mm-hmm. better than Medicare. Wow. So you long term care. Uh, the bill specifies that within two years' time, there has to be a plan for single-payer long-term care. Wow. Um, eyeglasses, dental, what? prescription drugs. What uh, am I forgetting? It, it, it's, this is too good to be true. It's not too good to be true. <laughs> how, 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 who's going to pay for all this? <laughs> okay. So um, there are a number of ways in which the system saves money so that everybody can be covered for everything. Um, so let me decide how to get started on that topic. Um, it would be funded mm-hmm. by progressive taxation. Um, and what that means is poor people pay less, rich people pay more. Okay, I'm just, I'm good with that, actually. Um, <laughs> it's actually, so as a person, mm-hmm. you would have health care coverage from the day that you're born. Yeah. No co-pays, no deductibles, no, right. There's a website you can go to, um, and I don't have the address, sorry. Uh, (laughs) I mean, Google Campaign for New York Health, or you can Google New York Health Act, Mm -hmm. um, and you'll find the website that lets you calculate your own savings based on what you pay now and what you would pay under the bill. But I'm telling you, like, unless you earn over $250,000 a year, you're saving money. Wow. So it sounds like it's, I mean, it's so, so good. Um, but why hasn't it happened yet? And who's against it? Okay. So, okay. <laughs> who who, who thinks this is a bad idea? <laughs> okay. So this... I, I know ver- the answer. But. Okay, yeah. <laughs> a, so a version of this... The, I started on this in mm-hmm. 1992, which is the first time the New York State Assembly passed a single-payer health care bill by the same sponsor, uh, Gottfried. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I've been watching this carefully for a long time. Yeah. It's really it takes the profit out. I'm sorry, it takes the profit out of healthcare. It that doesn't mean that you don't get a salary anymore. There's right. enough money in the healthcare system actually to cover everybody for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that we're subsidizing profits right. and insurance companies who are coming between you and your doctor and your care for no reason other than to be in it for profit. Um, there are a lot of savings. Because New York State, by covering everybody, would represent a consumer block that could negotiate drug prices with pharmaceutical companies. So there's a lot of savings to the system right there. Um, People may know that for Medicare federally, there's a law against negotiating the prices with with pharmaceutical companies. Um, That makes me angry, Yeah, obviously. These are the same pharmaceutical companies that negotiate drug prices in every other country in the world. <laughs> like, we're the only dupes right. that will allow a drug company to raise the drug price 5,000 5, percent, as in the in Screlly, right? right Screlly? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, as in that case, he raised the drug price 5,000 percent. Then, of course, he was called into Congress and grilled, like, how could you do this? And right. You know what they lowered it by after that, after no. they were called to the mat and publicly humiliated and shamed? Mm-hmm. 2,500%. <laughs> so the sum total of the increase was 25, it was still 2,500% oh increase gosh. on the price of the drug. So they, so, they cut the imp- increase in half, though. Yeah, that's what the press said. That's what the press said. That's what the press said. That's what we get to, oh, but we cut it back. Okay, but you still raised it 2,500%. Yeah. So, I mean, and the, the huge increases in the price of insulin lately. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing on a farm. So the pharmacy industry yeah. will not be happy if uh-huh. we're able to do this in New York State. Obviously, this is a national conversation. There are right. single-payer proposals, um, universal coverage proposals federally. Um, California is moving forward with a bill um, as best they can. Everybody's looking, who's going to be first? Yeah. I would like New York State to be first. Me too. Just Yeah. Let's do it. So there's some <laughs> other savings in the system that gets a little bit wonky. But um, So right now, there's a rule for New York State which I don't think any other state has, mm-hmm. um, where county property taxes, a portion of those go toward funding Medicaid, 
since New York Health Act replaces Medicaid, counties could stop charging those property taxes immediately in the first wow. year of if this became law. And um, Nadia, you have some numbers in your hand about how much money the ca- local counties are paying toward Medicaid and what they would save on their um, taxes, property taxes. So I do have some numbers. So in Monroe County, 56% of the property taxes collected go towards helping to pay for Medicaid in the state. Mm-hmm. That's $176 million. Wow. Uh, in surrounding <laughs> counties, it's, it's, you know, there's very similar numbers. In Livingston County, it's 44.8%, and that's $11 million. In yeah. Wayne County, 38.4%, $14 million. For your listening pleasure to our to our listeners who are in those outer counties. So Monroe County is the most dense populace, yeah. so the number is right. bigger. What right. about, um, did you do Livingston County? I did. Oh, sorry, and then we, we have Ontario County, mm-hmm. a little bit lower at 29.6%, only $15.7 million. <laughs> and uh, Genesee County is 34% at... Uh, $9.1 million. Yeah. And that, 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 that's money that we could save, is what you're saying. Yes. Uh, with this plan. That's in the money first that year. We would save in the first year. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if those governments are going to collect it and spend it on something else. Yeah. I right. mean, but we got to pay attention. That's right. We always have to exactly. pay attention. Sure, sure. Exactly. So I, I, mean, I get excited about single payer because there's actually a business case for it. Yeah. And all of those top, all of sort of the Republican talking points about property taxes and how we have to cut services because we have to lower property taxes. So um, those get addressed with the New York Health Act. So regular people would be spending less. Um, They'd be taxed. It's a tax. It's Mm -hmm. a new tax. It's a new tax, people. But guess what? You're not paying premiums, deductibles, co-pays. You're not going to have health care debt from being hospitalized or having cancer that makes you sell your house to pay your debt. Right. We have like 60 percent of bankruptcies in the United States right now are related to health care debt. None of that. Gone. Gone. And businesses will pay less into the system than they currently pay. Um, Right now, even just the management of the system, right now New York employers spend over $2 billion annually to do open enrollment. So, (laughs) like, to administer healthcare and to decide which policies they're going to provide to their employees and all of that administration work that they have to do, gone. Wow. And that alone is $2 billion. Then they're not paying the insurance companies. They're paying into the single-payer system based right. on a payroll tax. Um, back in 1992, when mm-hmm. I first worked on this, I did some. I was tasked in my job yeah. um, on Long Island to do some research to send surveys mm-hmm. to school districts and towns on Long Island, asking them, Calcul- tell us what you pay to cover your employees for insurance right now, mm-hmm. health insurance. Tell here, Here's the calculation for what was the precursor to the New York Health Act and tell and do the calculation for the federal bill, which at the time was the Russo bill. And so some people did it. Back then, people weren't already tired of doing surveys and they just <laughs> sent it back to me. Um, large school district on Long Island in 92, yeah. before the biggest increases in health costs, um, would save like millions of dollars a year. That is also property tax savings. Because property taxes fund schools in New York State. Mm -hmm. So what we didn't even calculate was the savings to workers' comp. I know I'm completely wonking out right now. (laughs) I get excited talking about workers' comp. A a big part of the cost of workers' comp is litigating who's going to pay for the health care for an injured worker. So with single payer, they're just going to go to the doctor and you don't have to fill out a form that says, were you injured on the job for this? Because you're just going to, you deserve health care. You deserve to have your problems taken care of. Um, You would still have a workers' comp system because you would litigate people who are going to lose their wages for the rest of their life because they lost their legs or something, right? In a workplace accident. Sure, sure. their health care is already paid for and you don't have to litigate and argue for right. years. I've been through workers' comp myself. Yes. So um, it took yeah. six years to resolve oh my, my case. Not a fun or streamlined It process. is not. Right? It is not. So here's a question about that. Um, and I think, I know that 
this has is maybe a common question. What happens to the people whose job is to litigate the workers, you know, who work in oh, the insurance so insu- companies? Health insurance, the, yeah. people working in the insurance industry. So I had yeah. like, at one point I had like eight answers to this question, yeah. <laughs> but I don't remember them all now. But I will say this. Uh, if you're laid off from an insurance company because New York State goes with the New York Health Act, mm-hmm. you will be one of the first people laid off in America who has guaranteed health coverage huh. for free. Yeah. Because this is, pro- this is progressive tax. If you don't have an income, you don't pay. Right. Right? So right. no $800 COBRA payment to yeah. keep it for one month, to keep your health insurance for a month. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, that's not all. Um, the New York Health Act does have job placement and uh, recovery uh, money in it to help oh, okay. people get, right? Yeah. So, but really, the people who are going to be, so we're going to still need people to administer the new system, exactly. people with experience. Right. Um, and there are also a number of people working in those insurance companies and claims departments yeah. who are nurses, mm-hmm. uh, doctors, um, who probably got into the profession initially to give care. And we're going to need a lot more primary care people giving care because mm-hmm. suddenly we'll have an influx of people who qualify, who can go to right. the doctor. Yeah, there's no more barrier. Now there's, there's no reason for people not to go yeah. and, and, and get what they need. Right. And so, and actually the business case, mm-hmm. the, the, the friendliness to business for single payer, I think, is going to mean that the state that does it first is going to have an influx of jobs mm-hmm. because it's going to be cheaper to do business there. And they won't have the headache of $2 billion of administering yes. employee health insurance every year and doing open enrollment. So it's actually could stimulate business. Mm-hmm. The people we talked about, I think we talked about last week, um, you know, people keep their jobs because they have to keep their health insurance. Right. People wouldn't have to stay in jobs just to have health insurance. If a mom or dad wanted to stay home with their kids and have one parent in the household working, this is a lot more possible yeah. if you're not paying an arm and a leg and your soul for health insurance. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we got to take a break real quick, I think. And uh, when we come back, I think I want to talk about some uh, common misconceptions about universal health care and the New York Health Act specifically. You're listening to Punching Out on W-A-Y-O-L-P Rochester. If you enjoy our show, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Punching Out Wayo. If you want to contact us, share your story, or just complain to us, we are there at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. So before we talk about myths about um, this health I, single payer or New York Health Act. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about bringing uh, how people who are on employer-sponsored health insurance will be affected by these changes because we talked about that last week. Okay, yeah. So, so what changes? It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You're covered for everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost you anything at time at point of care. No premiums. No deductibles. No yeah. copays. No mm-hmm. healthcare debt ever. And everything's covered. So, uh, but I can be a little bit more specific because we did say this is uh, progressive taxation. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're paying nothing. So I don't want, you know, comments online of people saying, you guys just want something for nothing. That's not what this is. Right. Um, But I do have some specific, um, what it would cost at different income levels. So for employed people who Mm -hmm. get employer-sponsored care, um, if you earn less than $25,000 a year, you don't pay anything. But again, the business case, employers, your employer doesn't pay anything either. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is significant for small business owners. Okay, yeah. so small business owners, listen up. Um, currently, if you are providing insurance um, as an employer, you are probably paying $13,298 on average per year to cover that employee. Mm -hmm. So you'd go to zero. Um, The employee today with family coverage is probably paying about $6,500 a year for their insurance, and that becomes zero. 
at oh. twenty five thousand a year if you earn twenty five thousand a year. Okay, I won't do the number for everything. Yeah, but oh, just just real quick, I just yeah. want to point point that out. So you're saying that a person that makes twenty five thousand dollars a year pay spends twenty five percent of their income on health care coverage currently, if they even have it. Yes, if they even have it. Okay, if family that's family coverage. Family coverage. Okay. Yep. Still. Yeah. For individual coverage, the average is about five thousand dollars. Okay. Still an insane amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, so let's, I don't know what our listeners make. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you um, have an annual income around $50,000, uh, you will probably pay about $450 a year. If you earn $100,000 a year, um, you'll probably pay about $1,600 a year. And that's whether you've got an individual plan or a family plan, people. Wow. Okay. Um, if you earn $200,000 a year, God bless you for listening to Punching Out. <laughs> <laughs> You're not our typical audience. Um, you would pay about $4,400 a year. If you earn more than $400,000 a year, I don't mind that you're going to pay $10,000 for your health insurance through this bill. And then also, you don't forget, you're saving on your property taxes if True. you're a homeowner. Yeah. This is why it spurs the economy. I mean, really, right. this is why it's attractive and suddenly people are happy and healthy and they can make decisions in their lives for the best of their family. Um, they can leave jobs that are miserable, that they're only in to, to keep their health insurance. Right. And you don't know more bankruptcies, no more health care bankruptcies. That's yeah. huge. That's really huge. So shall we get to some myths, Nadia? What do you got? Sure. Criticisms, myths? I, 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 I've heard that the growing aging population in the country is, is going to bankrupt the system. Yeah. Okay, no, there's enough money in the system currently <laughs> that can be redirected to something like the New York Health Act, single payer, mm -hmm. um, to pay for everything. I mean, this is not... I'm, listen, if I'm wrong... Would you pay an extra hundred from those numbers I just gave you if I'm wrong and you just needed to kick in an extra hundred dollars? I mean, we could do this. We right. we can afford this. We can yeah. do it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's clear. <laughs> it's clearly affordable, and it's. I mean, even even twice as much as the numbers is what you're saying is still way less than what we're doing now. Yeah. I mean, there was a there was a. a study done on the New York Health Act, because this is a hot topic, um, including nationally, and there are a lot of vested interests on all sides. And um, it was an independent report that found a net savings of $45 billion, wow. which is why there, there's enough money in the system. We've been schooled in 30 years of frugality and scarcity, and right. it's, a false, it's a false narrative of scarcity in this country. Right. right. There's enough to go around. Yeah. Well, here's a myth that I have heard. Or I, I, actually, I shouldn't introduce you, it as you, a myth, right? I've heard this. <laughs> Apparently, this something it's you going believe? to be a myth. I believe this um, thing. <laughs> single payer is fundamentally anti-American because America oh. is a capitalist and individualistic society. Okay. What do you so, say about that? So <laughs> I will quote Alfred, who is one of the Punching Out Collective hosts on okay. other episodes. Mm -hmm. Leave a baby alone for three days and come back and tell me we're an individualistic society. It doesn't work. It, yeah. it doesn't work. Parents don't present their children at 18 years old with a bill for all of the costs of having cared for them for 18 years. Right. Right. Um, we already take care of each other mm -hmm. and we're already, already paying for all of the insurance and that's in the system already. Right. right. Cause we talked about last week that we're even playing, paying, we're even all contributing to the ability of employers to provide employer paid plans. Right. Even in the system that seems to be the most so-called individualistic yeah. capitalistic system, we're already yeah. paying for and, each other. And honestly, the patchwork system that we have is an accident and yeah. it's actually a series of accidents that some people benefit from and capitalize on. But this is never like, we're going to be America and this is how our healthcare system should work based on our individualistic right, properties, right. right? I mean, that doesn't even, it's an accident. It's a terrible, terrible accident. Yeah. Got a, I got another one. All right, here we go. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Uh, I've heard uh, horror stories about long lines in Canada. I knew you were going to say that. You did? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's always Canada, too. Yeah, well, right. It's like, yeah. Okay. There are, there are neighbors right. to the north. <laughs> so the health disparities in this country make it clear that it's a problem in this country that people can't access care. I mean, some people can pretend that you can go to the emergency room and get everything fixed. Uh, that's not true. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not true. And so we already have waiting lists here. We have people dying because they can't get care. We have people going downhill quickly because they've gone bankrupt and they can't provide for their families anymore. The destruction is here. And the idea of long lines in Canada have been something that's been pushed by U.S. insurance companies since the 1990s when I was working about this the first time. And probably earlier than that. Um, Actually, in Canada, really interesting, so that is also a single-payer system. Um, You can go online on a website and find out exactly what the wait time is for any procedure that's going to happen that you need to have happen. Like you can look up an MRI in Ontario and find out what the average wait time is. That's transparency. Nobody's keeping track of the wait time in the United States. Right. Nobody's advertising those wait times. When you call and you need to get specialty care and they say, we can't get you in for four months. Nobody's written that down. There's no 24-hour news channel pointing out the ways in which corporations are disappointing the American people. (laughs) True. Like there is a 24-hour news channel trying to point out how it's all the government's fault. Right? So we have wait lists. The wait lists that we hear about in Canada are pretty much propaganda. No system is perfect. But in Canada, they actually set national goals every year for reducing wait times for critical care. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe it makes rich people uncomfortable that they can't just snap their fingers and get to the head of the line. I am willing personally to let them be uncomfortable with that. A system that covers everybody for everything, everybody the same Mm -hmm. for everything, means that when there's a problem in the system, people from Pittsburgh are going to start barking. Right. Suddenly they're going to become our advocates. They're going to get they're going to make sure that the system gets fixed. And they're in the position of power to do that. Right. Right. I mean, we can all do it. I encourage us all to start barking. Right. But there's a level of accountability when you provide something to everybody mm-hmm. that everybody has a vested interest in. And suddenly the people who are used to having the levers of power are suddenly in a position where they have to advocate for all of us. Right. I kind of like that piece. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's an interesting side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what about, so some people say that it restricts choice and options. That is a myth. Yes. <laughs> okay, so how, I how? like the topic of healthcare because it is actually one place where everything that capitalism promises, it fails to deliver, mm-hmm. right? So uh, competition is supposed to give you cheaper prices and better whatever. Um, and actually in healthcare, it's been the opposite. Hmm. So having multiple insurance companies out there, costs are only going up. And hmm. your choice is, li- like you're supposed to have free choice and your choices are actually limited by capitalism because you have to go in network. It's right. not really a true choice if you can't afford to go out. Like tip, yeah, yes, you could go out of network. You could be like the Harvard economist that I mentioned last week, who chose the wrong health plan, and was suddenly told that just for her surgeon it'd be twenty thousand dollars right. because he's out of network. That's not a real choice. That's mm-hmm. a that's not. It's not. We're not buying cereal. Um, another area where the, it fails in the capitalist model is that you. It's not buying. Everybody says it's not buying a TV set. Right. You don't know what care you're going to need, and you don't get to compare prices before you buy it. Right. And you don't get to not buy it. You can't not buy it. Yeah. That's not, we're not looking at a cereal, we're not $20 looking at the cereal aisle. So we're actually running out of time. We could talk about, I, obviously I could talk about this for another month, yeah. but um, it is one of the th- things that's on the table, and it's actually really on the table in New York State. So it has passed the assembly three years in a row, mm-hmm. and it is one state senator shy of having a majority support in the wow. state senate. 
so there are some local organizations who are advocating for New York Health Act, um, Metro Justice, Rochester DSA, um, Physicians for National Health Plan, the Finger Lakes chapter here, Rock Citizen. There are a number of people who've signed on. Mm -hmm. There are small businesses who've signed on to a small business endorsement. There are faith leaders locally who have signed on to the New York Health Act because it is from their perspective, a moral choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we will put a few links in the show notes. Um, But really, you can just, you can Google the New York Health Act and you'll get a lot of information on it. Okay. Well, I'm honestly feeling a little bit more hopeful than I was at the end of our last episode. (laughs) Okay, good. Same here. (laughs) Me too. All right. Great. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. <laughs>